morning, everyone at Lighthouse. We're so glad to see you all. You're glad to be in the house of the Lord. Wow, that was exciting. Glad to be in the house of the Lord. There you go. Now we're talking business. Oh, it's so good to see you all. I hope and pray that you're here and you know that when God is in this place, that we're all together. Amen. All right, then. Let's just go ahead and let's start singing and playing together. Now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to Come set us free. Come set us free. 
come set us free. Cause hope has a name, Emmanuel, the light of the world, who broke through the darkness. All hail the King, Emmanuel, the light of the world, the glory of heaven. Go. We didn't see it coming. Started in a manger, he ended in an empty grave. And yes, I know that hope has a name, Emmanuel, the light of the world, who broke through the darkness. All hail the King.
God, this day we come, we gather in this place to adore Christ the Lord. As we begin and start this season of understanding the hope that you are going to bring to the world through your son, still is profound to most of us. Hard for us to understand amazing grace that gives us we can have for free by just surrendering to your will. So I ask, oh God, this morning that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, may they not leave this place without finding Christ the Lord as their Savior. We ask that you speak boldly through Pastor Jeff this morning. Grant him strength, grace, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Oh, friends, we know. Let's try again. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome to Lighthouse. I have the privilege of welcoming you this morning and sharing with you a few of our announcements. First, there is a connection card in the back of the seat in front of you. If you are new, we'd love for you to fill it out so we can get connected with you. If you have any prayer requests, there is also a spot on the back for prayer requests. We do have a prayer team that prays and meets every Wednesday, and we would love to cover you in prayer. All right, our announcements coming up. We have next Sunday, our kids' musical, A Star is Born! Woo! <laughs> Our kids have been working so hard, and next Sunday afternoon is the date. It, it will be held here in the Worship Center at 4 p.m. I hope you will come and join us and watch their musical. And afterwards, we will have a cookie and hot chocolate reception over in the family room. The following day, Monday, the 11th, Women's Connection is having their cookie exchange. All of the information is in your bulletin. It will be over here in the family room at 7 p.m. on Monday the 11th. We hope you will join us and you will be able to take home a lot of yummy treats. And I'm really, really excited to tell you that we will be taking our youth group to winter camp the first weekend in January. So if you have any youth in your life in grades 6 through 12, we are headed up to Forest Home the first weekend of January, a Friday through a Sunday. Works out great because the kids actually don't go back to school until Tuesday, January 9th. So it's a perfect way for them to end their winter break and also get ready for school to start again. So we hope that any youth out there that they will join us that weekend. Uh, Dallas is actually going as our girl counselor and our youth pastor, Josh, will be there for the boys. All right. Those are our announcements. Before we do meet and greet, Today is a special Sunday, actually. The next four Sundays are really special Sundays as we take time to celebrate Advent. And as we step into the season of Advent, it's important for us to first understand what the meaning of Advent is. So over here we have our table of our candles. And the definition of Advent is the arrival or the anticipation of the arrival of something. Advent is a time where churches around the world slow down and take time to anticipate the coming of Christ at Christmas. Advent is marked by the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and celebrated with the lighting of, each, of a candle each week, 
with the fifth candle being lit on Christmas Eve. Over on our table, you will see three purple candles, one pink and one white. The candles are purple because the color violet is a liturgical color that signifies a time of prayer, penance, and sacrifice. The rose, or pink color candle, is a liturgical color for joy. The white candle, also known as the Christ candle, is lit on Christmas Eve in celebration of the birth of Christ. This first Sunday of Advent, we will light the candle for hope. Dylan, if you will come and light the candle for hope, the far right purple candle, please. Isaiah 9, 6 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Long before Mary and Joseph, the prophet Isaiah gave people hope for the coming Messiah. They didn't know when, they didn't know how, but they had hope that someday he would come. Over 2,000 years later, we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story how he came to earth, became human, feeling all of our human emotions, and eventually gave his life to save ours for all of eternity. Our hope came that night in Bethlehem in the form of a precious, precious baby who truly came to be the hope of the world. This part of the Christmas story is a great Sunday morning feeling. You know the kind that leaves you feeling that Jesus is right here with us. He sees you in this place, in this building. You feel him when you walk in. But what happens when we walk out of church, of our church doors, into our everyday lives where things don't seem or sound as hopeful? In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. That verse says, this hope. Friends, we have this hope. The hope that was born in the stable on Christmas Day. And we have to choose this hope, the hope of Jesus, every single day. This year has been hard for a lot of us. There is not one of, it, one of us in this room who has not faced a challenging season this year. At work, at home, in our families. When we look around at this world and scroll through our feeds or listen to the news, it is so hopeless right now. We have to put our hope in the one who came to be our hope. We have the opportunity, not just at Christmas, but maybe especially at Christmas, to share this hope with someone who may need a little extra. Church, may we choose to look up and choose this hope this Christmas. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you please pray with me? God, thank you so much for Advent. Thank you that we have a time to carve out in our busy days and our busy weeks leading up to Christmas to stop and to remember the gift of hope that you gave us so long ago on Christmas Day. I pray, God, that you will fill each of our people that are in this room today with your hope that as we face the hard times that come in the next few weeks and the busyness, God, that you will just continue to remind us to look up and to feel the hope that you gave us so long ago that we get to still have today. Thank you, God, for loving us. I pray that you will keep us all safe as we go about our days. In your name we pray, amen. All right, my friends, now we will do meet and greet. 
So let's go ahead, stand up, say good morning to those around you, and maybe tell your new friend your favorite Christmas cookie. Yeah, so I don't know if I was on media side. Like a chair chair, just a regular? It's a, it's a record chair. Faster. <laughs> Doing good, brother. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Don. <laughs> Good morning, Lori. How are you? Good morning. Way to sit in front, man. That's, that's where the brave people go. It's like the spit zone at Gallagher, except for I'm, you're, you're one row back. You should be safe. Good to have you guys this morning. Welcome. All right, you social butterflies. I understand it's the Christmas time of the year. Does that make you more social? What do you guys do before church that you guys can't wait till meet and greet? It's like fired up. Lots of new people in the house today. That's exciting. All the new people that are here, welcome. Hopefully you're looking for a local community church. We'd love to have you come join us here at Lighthouse. We've been right here in the corner for long time, like since the 50s on this side of the street and on the other side of the street, 1948, uh, back when there was just oil wells, chicken coops, and uh, a bunch of hopes and dreams for a little town called Harper. Wasn't much of anything. So we're really grateful to be here, and we're not going to change much of what you see. We believe that what God has given us, we're really grateful for, and especially in light of like Advent. I mean, it's I think we're like one of those places left on the planet Earth that really wants to hang on to what was given to us. You know what I'm saying? It's like everything's moving so fast. Everything in the world is advancing so quickly that 
I don't know what we're trying to actually give the next generation because it just seems like whatever we gave them this year has already changed next year. It's like some of these beautiful things that have been given the church to me at this stage of my life, like I really appreciate them. And even though I'm not going to just do a, a single standalone message on hope, I wrote some notes that I think would be beneficial. I will share with you really quick, but I'm going to get back to Acts and stay in the book because I'm kind of committed to just trudging along with I think God's word is the most important thing that we can share on a Sunday. But I mean, when it comes to Advent, the whole idea is we're, we're talking about the Advent of Christ's birth. Right? I mean, the two most amazing times in the year are Christmas and Easter. And the reason I say they're amazing is because no matter who you are, no matter what religious affiliation you have, no matter where you come from, it seems like it's not only appropriate, but somehow important or mandatory to go to church on Christmas and Easter, right? It's like of all the other holidays that exist, and we appreciate all the other holidays and the nuances about all of them, we know, like we know there's something set apart about that. So for me, I get excited because I like the Christmas music. I'm, I'm a music guy. I like all the Christmas music. And then this week, um, Lauren Daigle just put out a new song, and I'm going to play it for you guys on Christmas Day. By the way, since Christmas Day is Christmas, we're not going to do a Christmas Eve service. I want to give the staff and some time to stand down. It's been a very busy year. And God has been blessing, but we're just going to do one standalone service, so don't miss it, because it's only going to be the one. And we will have some special music for you, and we do have some other stuff planned. I think Glenn may actually have the church, the guys, are going to be some prayer time or something during the week or something, some other stuff. Okay, the 11th through the 15th, the church will be open in the nighttime, a couple hours every night for some prayer. We'll try to do some other stuff, but just so you know... Uh, we're not going to do that candlelight service that we kind of always historically done. We're just going to shake it up a little so that you can just be appreciative of what we have. And then if, if it ends up being like we just, it wasn't the same, then we'll try to figure out. But I mean, for me as this pastor, I'm trying to give time for the staff to go home. And if we come back after being here in the daytime, a lot of people want to start their vacations and get on to uh, traveling wherever they're going to go. And so we're just making consideration for all that. So apologize if that ends up being something you guys love doing. Maybe it's something you guys can still do at your own home or with a tradition some other way for one year, and, uh, and you'll have to provide me grace. But like I said, this whole thing about Advent was at the birth of Christ, the advent of Christ was Christmas, right? It actually means Christ's mass, right? It's his birth. It's his service to the whole world. And so regardless who we are, regardless of where we come from, we stop and we get to, we get to acknowledge this first word and this first color and this whole liturgical side of the church. It's like hope actually comes from the obedience. I kind of made my time with it. Hope actually comes from the obedience of believing that Christ is that hope. If you believe that Christ is the hope of the world and you're obedient to what that hope is calling us to do, then it kind of leads into all these other things. What does the hope of Christ lead into? Next week, peace. Why? Because the Bible exclusively teaches on what peace is. People are looking for the TV and they're looking for their politicians and they're looking to their friends and their family to provide some form of peace. And there is no peace in any of those. But when we have the Bible, when we have God's word and we look to it, we see that peace comes from the Lord, right? So it's a natural progression, right? We're obedient to the fact that there's this advent in Christ's birth. We have this hope that in Christ there's something that the world has not had, that in him it can be made right. And in that it brings a peace that passes all understanding, right? We, we say that peace that passes all understanding, but do we understand why it passes all understanding? It passes all understanding because just at the name of Jesus kingdoms are, are thrown, you know, households are torn apart. Your household may be torn apart just by the name of Jesus, right? 
Because that's what the name is. There is no other name. Why do we want to cuss or use slang? Or why is it in the most derogatory form of use we go to God's name or Jesus' name, right? Because there is no other name for which heaven and earth were created and the hope of the world and the peace that comes from that carries forth. And then what comes from peace? A joy that surpasses all understanding, right? We all know that joy is not some kind of temporary thing. Joy that comes from the Lord is something that satisfies, it satiates. I like to think of it like uh, the difference between eating a TV dinner and going to like a hometown buffet, right? (laughs) Both of those fill a need, right? I'm I'm bachelor enough in my days to realize getting home late at night that a, a hungry man Swanson's TV dinner was all that was available, And you felt anything other than satiated after consuming that, right? You felt like you did what you had to do as a man because that's all you knew how to cook. And your wife told you to learn how to make pancakes and eggs for years. And you always just said, no, I'll figure it out later. You never did, right? But then you go to hometown buffet or somewhere like that and you just have your choice of everything. That's kind of what it is. It's like the joy of the Lord is not the joy of the world. The joy of the Lord, it satiates. It fills up those voids in your life and it creates something that we all need. What does it ultimately create? It creates a love. Um, Once again this week, standing out in the lobby with all the babies and just kind of this time of season, my son's wife is uh, ready to have our second grandson. And I'm a a happy grandparent of five um, grandchildren. And, you know, there's something about hanging out with Brandon. He's back there with his little baby son. And just hanging out in the lobby. A baby doesn't have to do anything, right? A baby's the best of the best and the worst of the worst, right? Like I always tell everyone, we don't have to teach our two-year-olds how to be terrible, Right? No one taught them how. We have to teach them how to be good, right? Because it's innate in us. But in the same sense, I spend time with that child, and all I do is just spending time with the child, and I'm overwhelmed by a singular feeling, love. Like for my grandchildren, I'm love. Jeez Louise, wow. Because they're the next generation. I have so much hope for my grandkids that a lot of the fun things that we had, you know, we had lawn darts and click clacks and all kinds of fun stuff. In the world today, they don't have any of those things. They have plastic darts and all kinds of... Our, kids, our childhood was so, we played until the lights flickered every single night. You know that, right? And the lights would flicker and you would get on your bike and you'd pedal like 80 miles an hour down the street because it took them a while, you know, yeah, and throw your bike down and come running in the house and you were clear. Did you do your homework? No. Okay, then no food. You go upstairs and do homework. Whatever it was, it was joy. What do the kids do now? They come home and they hide in their rooms. They live in these electronic worlds where Everything is going to be AI-based. And don't get me wrong, the AI-based is going in a direction where they might have virtual friends in the near future where they don't have any friends because it's a whole new world that's being created for them. And so the hope that comes from this kind of season for me just reminds me, like, church, we only have one thing to really offer our, the next generation is the hope of Christ. I mean, the advent of Christ's birth and the second advent of his return, right? That's the hope that gives us a chance to have peace. And as we follow it through, you see peace provides joy. Joy will lead us to love. So let me get ready to pray this morning. I also want to remind you that it's the first of the month. So it will be communion at the end of the service. I have a special kind of thing about communion today. God put something heavy on my heart about communion. So if you haven't had communion in a long time, and I just said that to you and you're thinking about it, I want you to know that what God put on my heart yesterday uh, about Saturday at about 4.30 is that there are still people that are afraid of communion. And for some reason, as ominous as communion is for me standing up there and saying this is the body and blood of Christ, I just want you to be thinking about that this morning, that if, you, if communion has been something that kind of a 
a little bit overwhelming for you, I'm going to pray specifically for you this morning that you would make peace with communion. Because as this message is titled today in Acts 18, 1 through 29, it's titled, If God Wills. If God Wills. And because I want you to really understand, I think there's a couple of really beautiful phrases in the Bible. I believe this is one of three or four of the most important phrases that I say on a regular basis to me. If God wills something, then it's really significant that we understand how important it is. And church, we only have two things from God's word, from his known will, which we'll talk about his will a little bit today. His known will is that when we do communion, we do it in remembrance of him, and we're supposed to do communion. And then the other thing is baptism, right? Those are the two things he gave the church to continually do until he returns to remind us who he is and what his relationship with us is. So it's a really important component of who we are so please don't be afraid of the boudin bread and the Welch's grape juice. They're symbolic and they're significant, yes, but it helps remind us that we are not going through this life alone. And because of that, we have an incredible, loving Father who sent the hope of His Son, Jesus Christ, in the advent of His birth that wants to give us a better way to live. So let me pray, and then we'll get started with the reading. Like I said, I'll be in Acts 18, 1 through 29. Father God, this morning I come to you and I'm just, I'm grateful and I'm humble. I think the whole Christmas season from Thanksgiving to, to the last week of December, we just really, we stomp on the pedal and we go. Um, I think we're up to three Thanksgivings and at least two or three Christmases and, you know, trying to make that many people happy and trying to get to that many different events and the amount of food that has to be cooked and travel time here and there and all these different things. Sometimes I just wonder, Father, in the running of all these different seasons, we, we forget what it is we're trying to do. And I get to Sunday and I hear the, you know, Hope Candle being lit and I see, um, you know, Dylan and Sophia up there. I see this next generation of, of God-fearing young person coming up in the church and I just get really excited and I, and I just pray, Father, that you would just bless everyone that's here this morning, bless everyone that's listening online, bless those that took the time this morning to say, you know what, a priority for me is to be in the house of the Lord. A priority for me is to hear the word of God spoken so that I can get the encouragement that, that I need. Because the world is doing nothing but siphoning off everything that's good from us. And the world is doing everything it can to crash and burn families. And there's only one place I can go to for the restorative hope, for the restorative joy, for the peace that passes all understanding. And that's to the foot of the cross. So this morning, fathers, we follow Paul in his second mission trip and just realize that once again, all he's doing is trying to share. All he's doing is trying to serve. And all he's doing is facing a bunch of adversity. It's not an easy path that you have asked us to live. But we know that it's a substantially significant path. And we know that it's really important. So I pray this morning, bless us, encourage us. Help us to take the fear that we have of all the little things that are hidden in our closets and in our heart and our mind. And simply put them at the foot of the cross and trust you that... You said, Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We stand on that this morning, and we simply ask you to bless us with your word and its encouragement. I ask these things in your son, Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So last week, uh, Paul was leaving. He was leaving Athens, and he was leaving an area where um, an incredible scene had taken place. The scene was Mars Hill. And what happened on Mars Hill is the Athenians were making a simple attempt to try to reach and acknowledge every god that existed. And in an, in an attempt to worship and praise every god that existed, they simply took the time to hammer out one little wooden plaque that said, to the unknown god. 
And here comes this traveling, you know, speaker, a known babbler, as they kind of lovingly called him, comes through town, and he sees this sign, and he realizes that this is the plight of mankind, that man's kind of attempt in order to please everyone and to, to see all things, he misses the one true thing. Maybe that's why God himself identifies himself as the way, the truth, and the life. He wants people to know that there is only one true path to him, right? And he calls himself that way specifically, I am the way. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And so he makes this attempt to plead uh, the word of God with people, and he talks to them about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and he uses the Old Testament. He uses all the things that have been given to them already, and he reframes them, and he shows them in such a way that there's an opportunity to go from a plethora of gods who can do nothing for them to a singularity of a God that they can truly worship and, and their lives can be changed. And he's starting to have some significance, and he's starting to make a difference. But then as the Lord wills again, he has to get up and he has to move. As I begin the passage today, the second part of this passage, Acts 8, 18, 1 through 23, this is going to be the second mission trip that Paul's on. And 23 will actually end the second trip, and then I'm not going to do 24 through 29. I'll leave that for the small groups. But 24 through 29, we'll start the third one, and we'll pick that up next week. So let's read and uh, see how far we can get, and then we'll tear it apart verse by verse and see what we can discover in this passage. So starting in 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he was in uh, Mars Hill talking to them about the unknown God and trying to make a difference and impact in their life. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, um, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes and protested them and said, your blood be on your heads, for I am innocent of it. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles." In verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who Paul believed in were also baptized. I love these names that they gave us all this stuff. This is fabulous. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in the city... So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they said, this man they charged is persuading people to worship God in many ways contrary to the law. We'll talk about the law that they're talking about, the Roman law. Verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, then it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names from your own law, settle your matter yourselves, for I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd came and they turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Interesting, we're going to talk about that. Beating someone up and no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left his brothers and sisters, sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Achilla. 
Before he sailed, he had, the, he had his hair cut off in Chenchery because it was a vow he had taken. We'll talk about the vow, probably a Nazarite vow. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they had asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised you, I will come back if it is God's will. Uh, like I said, that's the message today and super significant. I'm going to look forward to sharing that with you over and over again. Then they set sail from Ephesus where he landed in Caesarea went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church all the way down at Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled to a place, traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phygeria, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, so this is his second voyage. This is his second trip. He's going back to all the places that he went to originally. So we talked about this when we talked about what a missionary should do. A missionary goes out, establishes where the Lord's leading them. You meet people, you set up these initial contacts, you get them going, and then part of what you're doing on the return trip is following up with them to mentor and disciple them and to see how things are going. Along the way, you're also addressing any issues that are coming up in the church. These are little home churches that are starting. Whatever these issues are that come up in the church, a lot of these leadership would not have any experience answering these things. So these men of God continue to come back and continue to kind of walk them through these different things. What's interesting to me is some of these places that they're setting up church, especially Corinthian, uh, the Corinthian church, have so, so much sexual immorality. They have some issues that are just so overwhelming that it seems insurmountable to ask someone to start a church and to do it. And yet not only do these people do it, they're faithful to do it, but these guys continue to show back up and walk them through all that. Some of these questions today um, I'm going to share with you. Uh, one of the, the actual names for uh, fornification or... Uh, uh, let me see where this actually says this. I'm going to lose my vision here this morning. Um, the, word, the word from the Greek philosophers and Epicureans that talk about these guys being babblers. These guys, Paul and Timothy, have to come back. They have to go town to town. And when they come back... Um, yeah, hold on here. I'm, I'm sorry, folks. Um, my brain's a little scrambled this week, and um, this is a pretty simple message, but... Okay, let's start over. Let's go back to verse 1. After this, he left and went to Athens and went to Corinth. After this, after this, the, the place where he went to was Mars Hill. He went to Mars Hill, and he tried to speak. He tried to share... He tried to let them know, and what they called him for being this person that loved God and wanted to share was a babbler. They, uh, they continued to make fun of him, and the term babbler actually talks about a little bird who picks up seeds from the ground and then disperses them. Um, he's continuing to be dismissed. He's continuing to be pressed on, and he's, he's struggling a little bit, and that's why I think this passage is so important. If God wills it, then it's up to Paul to realize that sometimes God's will is, even though we have a desire to share, even though we have a desire to bring the truth to people, um, sometimes we're not the person to carry him kind of over the finish line. So one of the first things I want to encourage you with this morning is if you've been out there carrying God's word faithfully to people and your results are carrying God's word is people continue to belittle you and belittle the word of God and don't respond positively to the things that you're sharing. Don't be discouraged. Remember that part of our faith to, to understand that God's working is we bring the truth, we bear the truth, we throw the seeds but the soil is up to the individual, right? And it's up to the individual and the Spirit of God to kind of nurture what happens to the seed. And so Paul's struggling with this, and he's asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm doing everything I can to share with these people, and not only are they not listening, but they're belittling me. And he says, hey, look, what I want you to do is keep going and keep moving and keep sharing, and if they won't listen, go find people that will. 
So Paul does what he's, the Lord's asking him to do, and there becomes a time and a period now where there's, he's not doing anything else. He needs something to kind of keep him busy. And verse 3, he says he finds some other tent makers, which is his trade. He was a tent maker from the very beginning. So as bivocational as Paul is, he thinks to himself, hey, look, if I start making tents, I'll be able to provide for myself financially. Then I can take the burden off of these people from having to carry the load for me. Now, that's not biblically speaking. That's not something a pastor has to do. But for Paul, what he's trying to do, he's doing everything he can to bring the word of God to people in such a way that there's no impedance. There's nothing that's stopping him from sharing. So if people thought, oh, we needed to financially support him to do this, he's saying, hey, look, I'm willing to go back and make tents. I'm willing to go back and do whatever the Lord would have me to do so that I can bring this to you because this truly is the most important thing that I can do to you to free up my time to share with you about who Christ is to work by vocationally whatever it is I'm perfectly good with that so every Saturday every Sabbath he continues to reason with them verse 4 and trying to persuade them which means Monday through Saturday he works every single day diligently you know carrying on with his trade but he's working for one thing to get to Sunday and I think that's something we need to stop and pause on really quick. It's like, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of us work all week long. And when we get to Sunday, I hear a lot of people say, it's my only day I can rest. Right? Honestly, I mean, you know how that works. You work all week long and you can rest on Sunday. But I think what I'm learning from this component of Paul is like, he worked all week long so that he could get to Sunday. It wasn't something that he needed for the whole point of what he was doing Monday through Saturday was for Sunday. Sunday was a really significant part of this ministry for him. And I think we've kind of lost some of the value of that, church, about Sunday being a really significant part about who we are and refilling our tanks. That's why I'm saying when it gets down to communion today is like I think we've really lost that we're, we're instead of us doing this on our own and kind of hacking through the life on our own we need to go through this with the spirit of God we need to go through this with God being someone who's instructing and leading and so this idea you know if God wills that's what God's will is for us is to go to make to baptize and to teach right that's the highest calling that he has in our lives so everything that we do especially Monday through Friday should be centered on one simple thing to try to get to that Sunday church, to get a chance to share the word of God with people, regardless of whether or not people respond to it. He was devoting himself to it, verse 5 says, so that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul had devoted himself exclusively to preaching and to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. The Greek on that word, devoted himself, is the concept of fully absorbed himself. So that's another good place to just stop and say, how, what are you fully absorbed in today? What are the things that are fully absorbing your time? In a world of Monday through Friday concerns, what are the things that are really driving you to like, this is what I'm trying to pursue, right? A car, a house, clothing, material, material items. There's a lot of different things that consume us and kind of become like the central focus of what we're doing. But Paul's saying, if we're not fully absorbed in, in the faith that we're preaching, if we're not fully absorbed in the words that we're sharing, then we're missing the whole point of what we're doing Monday through Saturday. That tent-making job was a means so that he could then preach on Sunday without any cost. His, his bivocational attitude was, I'm willing to do whatever I can do to eliminate any cost for people so that I can go share the word of God. And I think a lot of us today are doing a lot of different things that we can do, and we're not doing it even sharing God. And then we get to Sunday and we're like, man, I'm tired, and there's a lot of other options. There's football games, and there's events, especially in a town like our town. There's events. There's all these different things, and then we forget that the whole point of what we were doing Monday through Saturday was to get into this house so that we could teach and preach and be fully absorbed in the Word of God. 
I mean, the, the idea of being fully absorbed today, when I think about what I'm fully absorbed in, uh, I think I'm fully absorbed in golf. I think I'm fully absorbed in fishing. I think those are the two things that I like to do. And so the fact that I get to do that with other guys, talking about coming up in January, we're going to start a little golf thing with the guys from the church, is great because when do I get four hours to hang out with somebody? You know, in my lifetime, how am I going to have four hours to sit and, and spend time with someone? If you're a new guy in the church and you want to get to know me and I want to get to know you, if I use the things that God has given me that I'm fully absorbed in and I try to use those for the kingdom of God, then just because I have something that God has given me like a, a bend or a lean towards, I can still be fully absorbed and trying to use that for the kingdom of God. And so that's what I always do. And if I go fishing, I usually invite someone to go fishing. And yeah, we talk a lot about fishing, but at some point there's always an opportunity to pray and do ministry. And hopefully we can do the same thing with this upcoming golf ministry. Um, we can find time to sit in a cart with someone and talk about life. And maybe by being fully absorbed in golf for four hours, we can also realize we need each other. Ladies, I would encourage you to do the same thing. I know you guys had a lot of events lately, and hopefully like from painting and some of the stuff that I've seen, although my wife has banned her painting when she brought it home, it's not allowed to be seen or displayed in any capacity. We all thought it was fabulous. Somehow it's ended up in the garage with the rip, and we're not happy about that. We feel like there's some explaining to do, Lucy. But anyways, man, my brain. All right, here we go. Verse 6, but what happens? What, what is the continuing thing? He continues to bring, he continues to share. Just like Peter's focus originally when the church was first born was to the Jews, was like who Jesus was. Paul's focus seems to be changing. Paul's focus seems to be thinking, okay, I'm not going to talk to you about who Jesus was. I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus did. And so all of a sudden there's this kind of slow turn in his ministry and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ become like the first things he's talking about. And in sharing this new truth to the Jews and they become more and more aggressive with him, by verse 6 it says they actually opposed him and became abusive. And this is pretty impressive what he did. I mean, I don't know, this is not something we probably are doing today, but the idea was if someone was emphatically refuting the word of God that was being brought to him, you would, take, you would take the shoes off because you walked in the dirt and you would knock the dust of the, of the sandals off in front of someone and you, and you would say, your blood is on you, meaning I'm trying to bring you the truth about who God is. I'm doing everything I can to try to be honoring God, but your refusal of God is so, you know, adverse to me i'm just i'm going to stand down and say that's on you but understand that that's your blood is now on your heads and i'm innocent from it that's a pretty powerful statement that, that he makes to him and this is something that goes on quite a bit throughout the old testament and we don't really see it maybe so much in the new testament but it's definitely something that was there and i thought to myself so what is he saying is there a time and a place where we just say okay i'm done with you and you know hell is the only destination for you no, that's not what I'm saying either. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards us, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I think what's significant about this passage for you is that we have to realize something. In the, in the scope of life, we're all, it's a little blip, right? You know, our 70, 80, 100 years, just a little blip on the scope, okay? But once you expand that little blip, someone said it's the dash between, you know, when you were born and when you die and your grave that really matters. That little dash for me is this, is that today I get to bring the word of God to you. Today, this morning, I get to bring to you a truth, a simple truth, if God wills. I want you to understand that God does will some stuff that he's made perfectly clear, his known will, like in communion and, and baptism, okay? There's other things that we don't know, but what we know about God's will is it's God's will that none should perish, None, okay? In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if there's many rooms in a, God's house, then that's because there's 
lots of opportunity. So if he doesn't want any to perish, then my trip to salvation with you is I present why God brings you along and we're walking together in life. I present with you, and if you say no, then I stand down. And then I'm going to go look for the next opportunity as the Spirit of God leads, praying that, okay, my time, Ecclesiastes 3, my time and my season with you has come to an end, but that doesn't mean you're done and you go to hell and it's over. It just means that my season with you is done. And now I'm praying that the next generation of person that would share and show you God would then step into your life and you would continue to show. So that each person is, is going to have this journey in life where God has been there and been presenting that faith all the way through so that you will not be able to stand before the beam of seat of God one day and declare, I can't go to hell because I did not know. Right? It would not be a loving thing for God to return and someone to not know that he was king of all kings. Right? It would not be a loving thing to send someone to, set, to be separated from God for eternity. Okay? The hell has got some pretty horrific parameters, but separation from God from eternity, you would not be able to do that without the, pre the prerequisite that that individual had a choice and had an opportunity at some point in their life to refute the work of God. Right? Blasphemy is the only unforgivable sin, so in order to be able to do that, you have to do that. So Paul's saying, hey, look, I understand that you guys want to be abusive. I understand you want So I'm going to shake the dirt off now and say, hey, that's on it with you, because I'm going to keep going, because here's the reality, church. Your time is valuable. And one of the things I used to love when I was in student ministries, I did student ministries for many, many years, was teaching students the value of time. Think about that. When you're 0 to 18, all you have is an allowance, Money is not really a resource for you, right? But what you do have is time. And understanding the value of time at some point, if they have not learned that, it's going to be a real problem later on in life. And the same thing is true for us now. We have resources now. We have other resources. But still, one of the greatest resources you have that God has given you is time. Okay? 24 hours in a day. You spend most of it sleeping. That's 12. Another four getting ready. That's 16. So you're down to just like four hours to eat and drink and, I don't know, maybe three hours that you can talk to people. I mean, honestly, how do we live our lives? I mean, how much time do we really have for other people? Whatever that time is, is super valuable. And if you're not even allocating that time for the sharing of God's word, then that's concerning to me. But in that concern, as if you're continually bringing the word of God to the same person that refutes and refutes and refutes and refutes and refutes, and you say, but you don't understand, Pastor Jeff, are you saying that I need to stop sharing with this person? No, I'm just saying that maybe it's not for you. Maybe that's not your plight. Maybe your plight is you bring it, and you bring it, and you bring it, and they refute it, and then you just say, hey, look, I love you, but I don't have any more time to bring this. So here's what I'm going to do. I stand down. May God bless you. May he keep you. But you are making this decision, not me. And when you're ready to talk, and when you're ready, when you're done with chasing all these little ethereal thoughts and wishes on your own, I'm here. I'm ready to talk with you. But I got to go because there's other people in my life. We're going to find out where does he go? To the house next door to the church. By the way, if you do that around here, we should come talk to me first. Because if you go, <laughs> you go to the house on the left side of the church, they, I'm not saying they don't need. I'm just saying you, a different experience might happen. But, but here we're about to find out. He goes to the house next door to the church, and Titus Justice is ready to go. Right? He's not only ready to go, but like what we see with the Word of God is then his family's ready to go. And salvation has this waterfall effect of all these different lives that affect us. Sometimes our inner, you know, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta do. No, you don't. Sometimes you have to stand down. 
And you have to release that and say, you know what, I, I love you guys. I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to share with you. But if, if what I'm sharing is not breaking through, then I yield. And maybe there's someone else in your life that you've been talking to you. And I would encourage you, go find that person that will do that. But when you want to hear, I'm here. I'm down when you want to talk. But I cannot continue to bring the word of God to you under the idea that all you want to do is, you know, refute, refute, refute. And now it's actually getting abusive. I know that's hard to hear. And some of you guys are like, you know, for your kids, that prodigal, whatever. Everyone has to make peace with it in their own, right? You have to know that you've gone far enough, that you've gone far enough. Like my brother was wayward for 26 years. And I stopped, I, about 10 years into that, I just told my mom, I can't take any more phone calls. I spent a good 12 years not taking phone calls and just saying, I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. And now my brother has found his way back, and he's been humbled, and his life has been utterly destroyed. But it's interesting. I may only get one phone call a month or one phone call every five weeks. How much more edifying that is. Five minutes, like he called on Thanksgiving just because his daughter, you know, she makes him get on the phone just to say hi. And then Dallas got a chance, my daughter got a chance to go back to Texas and meet him. And it's weird, it's like sometimes you, you're chasing that thing, you're chasing that thing, it's just not, it's not the season. Ecclesiastes, it's not the season for you. You've got to stand down, and God will bring them back, right? That's a beautiful concept of what Proverbs teaches, train up your child, right? Proverbs 22, six. train up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and when they are old, I don't know what old means, he didn't give us what old was. 15, you were a man back in the Bible. 13, for a woman, you, that's a different kind of understanding. But somehow old, they're going to come back. So just be faithful. Show them the way. Trust in the process. But when you have to stand down, turn it over and know that someone else is going to come along and continue to share. Let's pick this back up in 7, 8. So he left the synagogue and he went next door. Titus Justice was there, worship of God. And Crispus, I mean, these names are fabulous. Crispus the head of lettuce, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed... My brain, I'm telling you right now, is all over the place. I just... Crispus, the synagogue leader, his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed. So this is what happens. Now, you're, you're, you're going, and you're going, and you're going, and you're, and you're hearing no, 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 and you're starting to think, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, I wonder if it's different next door. I wonder if it's different somewhere else. And that's kind of the spirit of God trying to speak to you, right? You're, you're like, you're kind of being hard-headed. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, lean not into your own understanding, but you're just trusting yourself, and you're trusting your own thing, and you're trusting. It's not working. You're like, what do you want me to do, Lord? He's like, just go next door. Go next door? Like, yes, just go next door. And you go next door, and not only do they receive, but like, they were waiting. So here's something that, I don't know, it saddens me that 90% of people will never lead someone to the Lord. Church, that is a statistic that I've been saying for 30 years in ministry, and it still bothers me every time I say it. 90% of church followers will never lead a person to the Lord. That's very sad to think that you're missing out on one of the most exciting things in ministry. Like this whole experiential movement that's happening in churches today, this whole movement where if, the, if you don't experience God, somehow God isn't real. I'll tell you something. You want to experience God in a church service, walk someone to the front and have them say 12 words that are different every single time. As long as it's something to the fact that I need you, forgive me, I'm sorry, help, whatever, throw any combination that works for you, right? Because the thief on the cross ruined every prayer that's been established. It's an individual's decree to an almighty savior of need. And who are we to say what they said was right or wrong? 
There's no right salvation prayer and wrong salvation prayer. There's just salvation and not salvation. And you walk someone up here or sit in the chair and you turn to someone and you say, today is the day that your name's going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Today is the day where everything changes. And for those of you who have woken up the day after your salvation and realized what the heck happened, this is what happens when the word of God moves, when, when, when people's lives are waiting for the word and it's brought to them, they can't wait but respond. And maybe you're in a season of ministry right now that's kind of been thwarted and impeded, and it's simply just a matter of you setting it down and asking for God to lead. Now, one of the ways that God led back then with Paul was visions. I don't know about you if you had a lot of visions. I have traditionally not been a vision person. I have been a Southern Baptist through and through, old school, black and white, low on the charismatic scale, fight to hold my hands up if a song's moving me. I, I kind of go left hand sometime and then and then it creeps up. I watched a couple of videos on the different positions, a hand holding, loaf of bread, field gold. I know there's all these other things I can do, and I'm, I'm struggling with all of them. But I played this, I'm telling you my brain right now, and I apologize to new people. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm just being honest, but so I listened to this video yesterday, and I can't wait to play it for you, but it's just, it's just my phone in my car, Lauren Daigle singing, Emmanuel, the song's called Emmanuel, and it's the people who did The Chosen, you know, this incredible group of, 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 and so she's done a special little video for it. Like, I'm in a weird place, I get it, I'm a little emotional myself as it is, and I just played it in my car, and my whole car changed, my brain changed, I was like, wow, and I was just like, how can, how can something be so powerful? I don't know Lauren Daigle, she's not my friend, I have no idea how she's living or what, but how does someone write something and experience something and God give them something that turned into such a blessing that you just feel like, okay, maybe we're chasing the Lord, we're chasing the Lord away, and he's trying to speak to us. He's trying to speak to us through different things. We're just so busy we can't hear him. And all of a sudden I could hear him in this video. I was like, he's with us, right? That's the whole point of Emmanuel. He's with us, and he's been with us, and he came in the most vulnerable thing on the planet Earth right? To live with us, to know with us. Why? So that when he gets to the garden and he gets a chance to talk about his will that's known and this will that's unknown, and he gets a chance to pray something like, if it's possible for this thing to pass, man, this cup, this cup is heavy, then I pray, please let this cup pass. But if it can't pass, not my will, but your will be done. I watch this stuff and I think to myself, like, Paul's getting all these different visions. He got a vision in the beginning on the road to Damascus. He got a vision when he returned to Jerusalem. He got a vision later on in Troas telling him to come to Macedonia. And then he got a vision when he comes back to Jerusalem that he will be arrested and it will result in him going to Rome. And yet, all through all these different visions, he's struggling. He's struggling. He's, he's trying to do God's word. He's trying to figure out, the, but he needs to know if it's God's will or not. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me that the guys who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and saw Jesus and heard Jesus directly, they struggled. And God continued to talk to them and continued to show them and continued to lead them and continued to guide them, and they continued to ask for more. Maybe the problem with your relationship with God is right now is you don't, you're not dependent on him. 
you don't need him and you're like me and you don't believe in visions and you don't believe in any of that stuff and so somehow you're just trying to figure out how to do it on your own and you're not reading the bible enough to have any kind of input in your life and you're not listening to anything that would be edifying or filling your streams back up and you're just going through the grind every day of out there living doing that 24-hour day work and giving to everybody else and giving to everybody else and then you're coming home and your spiritual life is so empty right so, so we've, we've, we found this out. Like if a, if a lake only has streams coming in and nothing going out, it ends up not being good. In order for a lake to survive, it has to have inflow and outflow. In order for you to survive as a follower of Christ, you have to have inflow and outflow. This is who we are. This is design, okay? This is the beautiful thing about design. And I feel like evangelism is one of those things. That since you don't understand it, it's been stolen from you. It's kind of like communion. It's like, but God's doing this to remind you that you're not doing this on your own. Inflow. Who's the inflow? He is the inflow. Who is the source? He is. He's a perpetual source. You, you can't run out of him because he's going to be inflowing at all times. And when you give to your family and you give to your friends and you give to your work and you give to all these other people, that outflow is naturally happening too. And so you have to work at this whole concept of saying, hey, look, God, I need some vision. I need some direction. But then on top of that, when you do provide the vision, I need to be able to say yes. And I need to fully commit myself. Because what does he do when he fully commits himself? He says, okay, I'm going to do this. And what are you going to do in return? Verse 10 says, I'm going to make sure that no one attacks you and no one harms you. I got people in the city. You know, the Lord has people in the city. Even in this town right here, God's got people in Costa Mesa. He's got people that are waiting for you. He's got relationships in this church that are waiting for you. If you just be willing to kind of trust yourself to just take this life that you've been given and say, you know what, maybe it's not everything you expect it to be, but it is what it is. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with it. I know that you've got people in the city for me, and I'm going to trust that whatever harm I do come to or whatever does come my way is because you've allowed it. Is there anywhere in the Bible where it says, come to Jesus and all harm will go away? So how have we become a church nation that makes it seem like come to Christ and have the best life ever? What have we really done to a generation of church followers when we say, the only reason you don't have is because you haven't asked? Really? Have you not asked? I don't know about you. There's a lot of different things I've asked the Lord for, especially in the last year. I've asked them a couple times on the bathroom when I'm laid out in one of my death roll sickness, this thing, and I plead with him, and I'm 58, 230 pound grown man, and I'm like a small child pleading with him, what do you want from me? What, 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 what kind of, what, how, how much sicker can I be? Why does anyone have to see this, right? And yet it doesn't go away. Sometimes you can ask, and it's not gonna go away. I'm pretty sure that Paul asked, can you remove the thorn in my side? Can you remove the thorn in my... It's, it's notable. It is something, and it's, maybe it was glaucoma. Maybe it was something relative to seeing, because relative to his letters, there seems to be some indication. See that I pen this with my own hand. There seems to be that. Whatever it was, at some point, he was no longer able to do what he was able to do. And so his only option was bring in Timothy, bring in Silas, bring in Barnabas, bring in other people who could then what? Translate and write things down. 
God's using the thorn in the side of one man so that the, the dependence is not exclusively on himself and his own skill set so that that independent need is now gone. He has to depend on others. And the body of Christ is now strengthened. Why? Because the vision's still coming through one man and now the allocation is going through many other men and they're all starting to find that God is using everything for his kingdom and his glory. And that's what Romans 8 says. Right? All things. All things. But if we sell people that, you know, come to Jesus and have the best life ever, and then all of a sudden, uh, I find out this week that a man in town in his 40s married two kids. He goes and gets one of the new vaccines because, you know, he wants to be safe, and he has one of those adverse reactions, and he dies a week later. Who's going to go do the counseling for that guy? What man from his church is confident enough in God's word to go stand in front of his wife and say, this makes sense, or somehow God needed this. There's nothing. There's no words. You, you better not have any words. If you're going to say something, you need to call me first. There's no words. You better say nothing to that person. You better sit with that person and cry and walk out the door and leave all the words to somebody else. There's nothing you could say. What do you say to that? Why does God ask some of us to go through pain? This morning, another brother is going through a quadruple heart bypass, and I've got some survivors in here of some stuff. I mean, what, what can you say to these people that have gone through one? This is ones, two, three, four times. What do you, what do you say? You're going to be clever and say somehow, you just tell them, it's, it's terrific. And I'm completely brokenhearted that God has asked you, your foot. I, you have been the most faithful follower of Christ since I have known you in the last six years, Sean. And sat in this front row day after day, and yet your foot has it's been like a thorn. God, it drives me crazy what I hear about your stuff. People call me during the week and say, oh, Shawnee this and Shawnee that. Come on, Lord, enough with the foot. Heal that foot. Do something miraculous. Of Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time and a season for everything. But you know what? Sometimes the season doesn't end. And God still is he's asking us, keep going, keep working. Because if it's my will, I, I don't mind you asking, but if it's my will, then it's my will. And I'm sovereign, Okay. Sovereign means my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So because of that, you can ask, but you have to yield. That's what Jesus taught us, and Jesus showed us. If it's your will, Father, then your will be done, and he does it. And he goes to the cross, and he doesn't call down 10,000 angels or 100,000 angels. He doesn't wipe out everyone. He goes to the cross, and he continues to minister. And one of the last things he says from the cross is forgive them. Forgive them. Serious? What? For they, for they know not what they do. Like, it's, 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 does that humble you? Like, does that, have you thought about that? Someone had the time to be hung on a cross, as painful as that was, and the last thing you're thinking that's recorded for us to remind ourselves is to forgive them. Because they're bartering for your clothes and mocking you, right? Who is this? Who is this? He's hope. That's who he is. He's a hope that leads to a peace that passes all understanding that the world so desperately needs. It's a peace that leads to a joy that's not the kind of joy you can find in a relationship or drugs or some other new car or new hat or shirt. You can't find that in anything other than Christ. And it leads to the side of a crib where a newborn child will one day be born. I'm going to skip through a couple verses here because i am lost myself in the time. I'm going to jump to 14. Well, Paul's speaking later on to Galileo. He's the uh, judge of kind of this whole thing. And he's saying, hey, look, I, in, in Roman law, 
You can't teach about an unknown God or a God that's not approved by the Romans. And we've already approved the Jewish law. We've already approved the Jews. So far as we're concerned, this is just a dispute over words and understanding. So you guys figure it out and you guys work it out, but I'm not going to rule on this situation. And that's good for Paul because he continues to have people that are ruling against him. And the results of this are uh, the wicked men that they wanted to punish. Instead, they decided to go punish Sosthenes. Now, I'm not really sure what he had done to deserve this, but an interesting thing about this uh, situation with Sosthenes, he's a synagogue leader. He gets beat, uh, verse 17, he gets beat in front of them. We're going to find out later on, Paul's going to address a, le a letter to Corinth, First uh, Corinthians. Paul writes to them, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle to Christ Jesus and our dear brother Sosthenes. So, so the guy who got beat up when Paul should have got beat up, the guy who brought the charge against Paul is now part of the brotherhood of a community of believers by 1 Corinthians. Church, everything that's happening around us is happening for a reason. And when you don't know that, you're missing out on the beauty of seeing that even today, someone who is your direct opposition, even today, someone who is directly your, your, your thorn in your side could be being used by God today for that, and then tomorrow going to be in the church sitting next to you. And you got to ask yourself, when that day comes, is that individual is in the neighborhood, and they do show up, what are you going to do when that thorn shows up and says, I'm with you? Like, I, I, I joke a lot about the neighbor. I do. It's unfortunate. But in the same sense, I also love the neighbor, and I'm really hopeful that one day the neighbor and I will have an opportunity for true reconciliation. And I'd be willing to do whatever it took to do that. But I have to realize something, and you have to realize something. If it's not meant for me to be that person, then what I can do is hold, hold fast and say, you know what? Not me. When you're ready, you come find us. Okay? But in the meantime, my time is so precious, and I have such little time that I can actually control as it is, that I have to go find someone who's also next door to the church. Uh, we did the Trunk or Treat event. You guys know we hadn't done that in three years. And, you know, we're a small little church, and so we didn't do it as big scale and crazy as we've always done. It was just like, that's what we could do. We had like 15, 20 cars, no jumpers, just a couple of hot dogs. I mean, it was very, but it was weird. Like, I actually had more community time. I had more thorough conversations. I felt like it made more impact in our neighborhood than any of the other ones that we had done years before, spending twice as much with four and five times more thousand people in the parking lot sometimes we're overcooking everything to undercook what god has actually given us what's in our wheelhouse so recently we had a men's breakfast and uh and uh, guys show up and it's saturday at seven a lot earlier than church at 10 men on saturday are pretty interesting and even Saturday at 7 is insane for some guys. I mean, they literally think if you're not playing golf or going to something special, it's just an insane time, and yet, like, 35 guys show up. One of the guys who shows up there in the room comes from another church, and he says, you know, I've gone to a church where there's 500 men, and we couldn't get eight guys in a room. Because, like, if it's valuable and it's significant and you're willing to do it and you're willing to put the time in, then you can have an opportunity to see God use even the smallest things to build other men of God up. Let's get back onto this thing. I'm my brain. I apologize. I do really do. 
Wicked men were trying to cut him down. Sothenes got his tail kicked, and then all of a sudden he found himself saying, you know what, these people are interesting, and later on we're going to find out he's actually with these people. Paul continues to just do what he can every time there's an opportunity, every time there's a serious punishment. He shakes it off, he knocks the dirt off, and he keeps preaching and keeps teaching to the people that are around him because in the end, for him, it doesn't matter. He's committed to one thing, to sharing Christ with the people that are around him. And when God says, that's your time with those people are done, continue to move on, he does. So verse 18 says, so he stayed in Corinth for some time, and then he left. And then he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he has cut his hair because he had taken a vow. And I found this pretty interesting. I don't know if you guys know um, about the, the idea of a Nazarite or a vow. Um, there are some famous Nazarites in the Bible. John the Baptist was one. And then, of course, you guys know Samson was obviously one. Um, he had his hair cut and lost all his strength. And then it came back to him and he was able to knock down the temple with uh, all the pagan worshipers and for a final act to the Lord. But the fact that, that Paul has decided to make this vow, um, it's interesting. For a Nazarite, tr tradition was from the Mosaic law was to refrain from alcohol, allow your hair to grow, and dedicate yourselves to a period of intense devotion to God. Now, today, we would probably just call that like, um, what do you call hipster, right? I think that's, is that a hipster that does the hair and the beard? No? No, that's a different thing? Okay. Well, there's a generation of people out there that let their hair grow and do some different things, and this whole drinking or not drinking, um, I don't know about you, but like I come from a long line of alcoholics, so I'm not pro-alcohol or against alcohol. I just, I've seen what it can do. So when I need something to drink, I just want to drink something that doesn't have the possibility of causing damage, right? And so this is pretty simple. Take a vow, but let your hair grow. When you let your hair grow, one of the things happens, everyone can see it, right? You can't hide your hair not growing. We have some people that have some longer hair and shorter hair. Um, I miss John. You know, one of the things that was cool about John, he always had a ponytail, you know? Chucky, you got your ponytail there. We got it. But, uh, but I like the idea, like, he was willing to, like, hang it out there for people. He was willing to hang it out there and let people see this. This is a vow that I've made. And part of this vow that I think is really significant to me is, like, the regular dedication to God's word. Now, here's something for you guys. Like, in your Monday through Friday regular world that you have right now, how much time every day is set aside for the devotion to hear from God or to allow God to speak. Remember, inflow and outflow. How much time every single day as part of your routine do you allow God to speak to you every day? Okay, God speaks to you, one aspect of your relationship, and then you get to speak to him. So this is the idea of praying without ceasing. I know it's still kind of a confusing concept, but you can actually pray without ceasing once you practice it. You just need to practice it. So as you're just kind of going through the day and you're driving somewhere, even when you're driving your car, you can still be praying, Lord, pray that you be with the traffic. Thank you for my car. Thank you for gas. Simple things like that. But you know, wherever I'm going, I just pray that you be, just, you just try to incorporate them in. Just uh, building a relationship with God that's simple. And, and, and this idea, devotion to God, daily reading. They did it from the beginning. And yet I think about where we got today. Um, we have a lot of tracks now in the foyer. We have some people that are really fired up about tracks. Marcel's been fired up about tracks. Max, you bring the big um, God's word. Uh, what's the thing that's out there? Daily bread. Yeah, daily bread. Yeah. I mean, we'll try to help you figure it out, but, I, but there's uh, things that you can put on your phone that will read a Bible verse. But like, how important are you to being devoted to God so that every day you're looking to hear from him? As you're not looking to hear from him, then who are you looking to hear from? Right? Because uh, as the old Rush song used to say, if you choose not to decide, 
you still have made a choice, right? If you, if you choose every day not to influx with God, not to inflow with God, then you're choosing to have inflow from some other source. Yes or no? Okay, I'm delusional, but Maxie, yes. Okay, good. So I wake up today, and I'm not feeling good. I can start the morning off by saying, God, what's wrong? What did I do? Oh, woe is me. Or I can wake up and say, okay, Lord, it's back again. My old friend, Mr. Pain and discomfort. But I know that there's work to do today, right? So all I'm going to purpose today is like, let me get through the day for that one person that I know today. It's like, that's the purpose of the day. First Corinthians 9, like I'm doing all my ministry for the one. Help me get to the one today. That's it. That's just, I mean, it's, it's an attitude of gratitude, and I'm trying to influence, but then I have to get some kind of resources going. I like listening to other pastors. There's certain pastors I love. Um, there's certain pastors that scare me. And sometimes just trying to listen to Alistair McVeigh, a Scottish pastor, is really difficult, and it really challenged me to listen. But J. Vernon McGee is a guy that's been gone for many, many, many years, and he sounds like an old country bumpkin. It sounds like Colonel Sanders and Billy Graham had a child, and... He just rattles off God's word so simple and whatever. And I find myself fixated, fixated by somebody's like, okay, 1800, when did this guy die? He probably was like, obviously not. But I'm just like, it just, it doesn't go away. Good preaching doesn't go away. Amen. I mean, God's word doesn't go away. We, we can make God's word the star. And even if someone messes it up and gets in the way of it, it still shines. Because it's God's word. It's, it's alive and breathing. And so that dependency that he has on it to make this vow, to follow through all these different things, he's got to stop and he's got to cut his hair. He's got to get it all dialed in. It's also plausible, too, that he's going there for um, Passover. Okay? Whatever it is, he's going, to go, he's going to go home. When he gets home, he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to continue to do what he's done. Why is he so successful, ultimately? Why is he able to travel more than any other known missionary? 10,000-plus miles, 15, 20,000-plus miles. I think there's a dedication to God's work, and there's a, a work etiquette that he's making kind of known to us. And I just want to encourage you, if you want that kind of work etiquette and you're willing to kind of follow God in that, you probably can travel a lot further and do a lot more than you possibly can fathom. All right, I'm on the last verses here. Just enough time to go to the synagogue in verse 20. When he gets there, they're really excited about him doing that. So they ask him as anyone would, hey, would you like, would you spend more time with us? We really appreciate if you spend more time with them. And he says, no, that must have been really hard for them. But the truth was, he was praying about it. And the truth was, he was trusting God about it. And the truth was, because God hadn't willed it, he said no for now. But when he does come back to him, and he will come back to him, he stays for three years. Right? So this is another good stopping teaching point. If, if you're saying no to someone right now, and they're frustrated about that, and that's not what they want, you have to realize something. If God doesn't will it right now, then you don't want it right now. Right? Maybe this relationship you've been chasing this whole life, this job, this thing that you've been going after, if God doesn't want that for you, then you obtaining that is not a blessing. But this house or this thing or this thing, and I really want it, but, but maybe it would not be a blessing to you for you to actually get that. And so God's not allowing that to happen, and you need to stand down. Now, that doesn't mean that God would not give that to you in time. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life where I wanted something or I thought I needed something, and I didn't get it, and I remember asking God why. Then a couple years down the road, I got a chance to stand and look back clearly on that and go, oh, that would have been devastating. Devastating if I would have got that. The, my high school relationship, you know, four years, and, you know, this is going to be my life. And the, 
devastating. I would have made the most incredibly wrong choice in my life, right? But I really wanted that, and I really, in that moment, that's all I could see, and that's all I could think, and then you get the chance. So one of the things I want to encourage you this morning is if you're really frustrated that God's saying no to you right now about that, would you just take a moment to think about some things in your life that God said no to you that you now as an adult can look back on and say, thank you, God. That wasn't for me, and that would have destroyed me if you would have gave that to me. So if you want to say no to something right here, right now, that's really making me mad, I yield. I'm going to stand down, and I'm going to trust like everything else in this timeline of my life. When you do come back three years, he gets to come back, he gets to do three years with them. That's a pretty prolonged period of time for someone who's a missionary, right? Because he's trusting God. He's trusting God to lead. If it's God's will and God's leading, then it's okay for you to say no. And it's okay to say yes to what he's leading you to. And if you haven't had any vision or insight in that, you should just be trusting God more, reading God's word, looking for more ways for him to have inflow. And verse 21 is this key verse. But as he left, he promised them, I will come back if God's will. And then he set sail. So God's will is, I've just put two of God's will in here that I think are important. God's will is both known and the unknown, okay? What's known about God's will is all throughout the Bible. You can read, you can type in Google passages, God's will. I have a message that I've written on God's will. It's very, very interesting. Obviously, today I'm already having a tremendous amount of inflow. I just, I didn't do it, but I, there's an actual message on God's will, the will of God. But look it up. See what it says when it talks about God's will. Communion and baptism are pretty clear that they're God's will for the church. And because they're God's will, they're really important. So for you not to understand them, it's, not, it's like tithing. Here's a quick sidebar on tithing. People don't understand something. Let me just say this about tithing. I, I will never talk about tithing unless the elders say come up there and talk about tithing. Because if you don't understand tithing, you're missing out on something that's meant to be a blessing for you, not a burden. Okay? If you as a parent gave your child 90% of their income and then asked, and you as their parent lived off 10%, I hope your kids would be pretty grateful, right? God's not taking away anything from us. He's giving us 90% and he's saying, live off it. And the other 10% I want you to give to the church is because I want you to give it to the church because this is how my ministry gets done. This is a place where you come and we get to do ministry and we get to talk about me as the bigger picture of thing and what your week is all about. Tithing is a commitment to an understanding. It means one-tenth. I can't change that for you. I'm not going to, Okay. You can tithe pre-tax, you can tithe post-tax between you and the Lord, but every time you don't give and you put money out of your pocket, that's not tithing, that's donating. You can donate whatever you want, whenever you want. I don't, we're, we're good. God has done good. We're not any financial burden around here, okay? We're blessed beyond belief. You couldn't redo this church. We had like a $7 million offer for a portion of our parking lot a year ago, okay? This is not a money church. We don't need the money. What we need is people's lives to be changed by the commitment that they've made to Christ who died on a cross for us, right? Tithing is a blessing to you. If you don't understand it, come talk to me off bar. I'll walk you through what tithing means. The things that God has meant to bless us have been stolen so that we don't have that blessing. Because you don't understand that, you don't understand reading God's word is a blessing to you. Every time you read God's word, it says it will not come back void. In other words, it doesn't matter what your mindset is, your attitude's good or bad. It doesn't matter what your relationship is or it isn't. It matters that you're going to God's word and you're saying, I need help, I need something, I'd rather just read God's word. And in that capacity, you're humbling yourself to say, you know what, God's word, maybe you have something for me. And it will never come back void. 
But when you don't allow God's word to speak into you, when you don't allow God's word to, to encourage you and bless you, then you are allowing other things to do that. So how does it make like working out? How can working out be an... Because if working out is what's edifying you, if working out and the affirmation of standing in front of a mirror and seeing your body developed and become some kind, if that's, if that's something that's where your happiness and your joy and your strength and your encouragement is coming from, then you're missing out on something. God made that body. And God allowed it so that it would respond to working out that way. Because there's other people that work out all the time and it just doesn't happen for them. Right? There's people that go on every diet that's ever been and they're just not going to be, they're going to be, I'm morbidly obese that's what I was told by my doctor. I'm morbidly obese. That's encouraging. You too? You, you are too? Yes. Maybe we can start that club. All right. Sorry about that, brother. I'm morbidly obese, and I, I, have to eat, I have to watch my diet every single day. I have to step on the scale every single morning, and I have to weigh myself twice a day because with my dialysis, weight, they watch your weight literally. One pound of dialysis means one pound of they'll try to tweak it out of you. They'll try to draw one pound out of you assuming that your kidneys aren't filtering, okay? Even that said, I can't dial it in any better than what it is. I'm doing the best I can. So what I got to work with, Lord, this is what I got to work with. So what I do, I just go in there and I step on the scale every day and I just tell them, hey, this is what it is. It's the best I can do. Happy, sad, glad, mad, I don't care. It is what it is. But I can tell you this, God loves me and you don't get to tell me when it's going to be my last week. Because I've had some doctors and some nurses try to tell me what I'm doing is going to control all these other things. Nobody gets to control that, okay? It's appointed for you. God said it's been appointed for you to be born, and when you're going to die, you need to just show up and trust God that when he leads and his will is known, you're going to be fine, okay? He's got people in the city. He can protect you, and if God wills it, go do it. And if you don't like it and you're not happy with the results, you can pray about it and you can ask God, can this pass? But if the answer is no, this is what I've asked you to do, this is what I've called you to do, then put your head back down and plow, okay? And when you got the blisters and your hands are grinded and you're whatever it is, when the time comes and you're done with that field and you ask, he's, there's another field across the way I want you to go, pack your stuff up, go to the next field, and plow. Okay? we got a limited amount of time to share the good news of Christ with the lost world around us. That time is very valuable and it's being stolen by a lot of different things. And trust me, when we watch TV today, I don't think it's ever been stolen any faster today. One final thing here before I finish. He says he, when he got home, he went to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem to go meet with the people. They always say go up because Jerusalem's actually 2,600 feet above Caesarea, which is at sea level. Even today when they talk about going to Jerusalem, you always talk about going up to Jerusalem. I mean, all these little nuances about different things. I mean, God wills Jerusalem to be something special and something set aside. It's going to continue to be in it. So if you want to know why Jerusalem's in the news today, because it's been part of God's will from the beginning. He willed that that little city and that people group would be special. You know, people always tell me, Pastor Jeff, why do you worry about this and why do you worry about this? I don't worry about any of that stuff. If God put it in the Bible and he discussed it and it's important to God, then it's important to me, right? I, what's important to me off book, I can talk to you about. But if I stand up here, I'm going to try to tell you what I think the word of God says. And God says Jerusalem's important. God says Israel's important. And God says these are things that we should watch. So, you know, I don't know about all these other things that you're watching and all these other things that bring you hope and joy, but you know what? Paul said Jerusalem's important. When he got there, he wanted to go up to it and do his worship. He wanted to go up there, maybe do a sacrifice because of his Nazarite vow. Whatever it was, he made it significant, and he kept the main thing the main thing. And I know you guys have heard me say this a couple of times, the main thing the main thing. It's not my saying, okay? 
giving credit to where credit's due. A man named Albert Einstein came up with that. So Albert Einstein was a pretty wise guy. And his understanding of God was this, that he would study something, he would commit something to knowledge, and then he would sit down and try to recall what he knew. And he hypothesized that at any given moment, he could only recall 10% of what he knew he knew. And it frustrated him. Can you imagine that? Einstein was frustrated. Pretty smart guy. And he's frustrated with himself. And he wrote down and he penned, Albert, keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's something that I have now... My, I told you I have a couple of sayings, if the Lord wills. That's definitely a saying that I love to say. I love to share that with people. I love the saying from Joshua, a battle-ridden warrior, a guy that I can really con- contend with. Choose this day who you will serve. But that's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord, right? He was, he was, it was about time to go to battle, and the people were confused. And it was just a small little saying, but it's such a great reminder, church. You, you don't have tomorrow. I don't have tomorrow. I'm not telling you you have tomorrow because I don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You have today. So choose today who you're going to serve. And if you're going to serve God, make your whole household serve him. And then I like 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in you, Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Where is the thanks? I mean, Thanksgiving is great. You know, Thanksgiving comes and then it goes. But where is the thankfulness of a believer today? Why is it so hard to be thankful 364 days a week, but one time out of the month or year we're going to stop and be really thankful and all these different things? Like, aren't we supposed to have that attitude all year round? There's a, there's, a, there's a component of your faith and your belief and the hope that you have in Christ that you should be able to be making the most out of some of these situations in life that, I mean, like I said, you know, I can imagine, sister, you're going to the doctor and you're like, haven't we talked about this foot like over and over and over again? How can I possibly give thanks for this? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the humanity that I'm faced with, right? I'm, I'm a human like you are. Lord, how do I give thanks for this? I don't know. But unfortunately, what I do know is it says give thanks. So I have to figure out a way to do it. And I'm praying for you that you can continue to have that. Because once again, here you are on a Sunday, ready to go. God bless you for that. Church, give thanks choose this day. And if God wills it, don't be afraid of it. This is my final prayer for you. We're going to do communion. I'm sorry for the length of today. Honestly, I have a little bit of things going on in my head, and I'm just battling back the best that I can. But if God wills it, then he wants you to do it. And if you haven't had communion in a long time, then what you're doing is you're cutting off the inflow to your lake, to your stream. And you need that inflow because that's how you remind yourself that you're not going through this life alone. You're not trying to make it on your own. You're not trying to figure this all out on your own. You're not leaning into your own strength, but you're actually leaning into the Lord and saying, all right, Lord, I know that I have needs. I know that I have concerns. And maybe there's some things I've been holding on to in my life that would make taking the body and blood of Christ potentially not beneficial for me. And I'm going to pray right now and very specific for you that this morning that you would make peace with that. That this morning that you would set that at the foot of the cross and just realize something. There's none righteous, not one. In this building right now as we stand, if, if, if the door opens and the next speaker is Jesus Christ himself and he says, okay, anyone who's righteous can come forward and take communion, we're all exiting the building. Okay? And I'm leading the way. So if there's none righteous in here, let's just impart ourselves from the righteousness. The righteousness that we have is imparted righteousness. In other words, it's from him. He declares us righteous. He declares us holy. He declares us right. And this is the Lord's will. So, Father God, this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare our hearts for this simple act of obedience to 
take in the body of Christ, take in the blood of Christ, and remind ourselves that the only reason we have a hope in this world, the only reason we have joy in this world, the only reason why peace can even plausibly exist is because it exists in the name above all names. Father, the act of, of being born and, and a manger and just living such a simple and humble life for 33 years, giving to the people continuously over and over again, only to be hung on a Roman cross and mocked and beaten for what? People would say, for what? I mean, if this is God, you know, pull yourself down and call down your angels and you, and you just, you look at them and you, and you humbly just declare to your Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, I pray this morning that we would remind ourselves that we have people that don't know what they're doing. We have people who don't know what they're actually risking when it comes to risking heaven and hell. And if there's anyone in this building this morning or anyone listening online who didn't know that Jesus Christ died so that there could be a way through death that would change everything that they understand, that death is no longer the end of anything, but it's the beginning of a new relationship, a restored relationship with the Almighty. Father, this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, like I said, I pray specifically for anyone in this building who's hearing this, and feeling this sense of unworthy. There's none righteous. There's none worthy. I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, you would impart to them your righteousness and help them realize that they are cleansed from their sins when they simply bring those to the cross. May everything that we have, may everything that we do, Father, continue to be like Paul, focused for that opportunity for salvation for the lost. We do these things and ask these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Would you please come and join me in communion?
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you realize how important the hymns are, but it seems like during communion, they're a little bit more important. We don't really play as many modern new songs during communion because I think we all want to hear that. What a friend we have in Jesus. How simple it is. A small little insignificant piece of nothing. And yet, how significant it is to us. I pray that it's that significant to you. And that as you open your mouth and chew this and realize what it represents. The whole world will stop one day. Everything that's important to everybody one day will become secondary. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he actually is King of all kings and Lord of lords. Take and eat and every time that you do, do this in remembrance of me until I return. this I'll just see a world of sin all around me what can make the world whole again it's the same thing that makes me and you whole the blood of Christ churches are now offended to say that there are churches now that will never say that again in their congregation and worried about what people think if you mentioned the blood of Christ what do we have to offer people if it's not the blood of Christ your blood my blood who, who of us can save who of us is righteous enough to save there's only one precious unscarred lamb that laid down his life right they didn't take it he laid it down for his friends for us Every time that we do this, every time that we pick this little small thing up and remind ourselves, we do this until he returns again to remind us that he is coming and what he put in motion, he will complete. And you need this and I need this. And every time you do this, remember this until he returns again to take and drink. Father God, this morning as I conclude this time, I just pray that just exciting seeing a lot of new faces in this building and, and because of that there's an opportunity for me to just to just plead with someone may the name of Jesus today not just be something you're aware of or you've heard of or you're familiar with but may the name of Jesus this morning be the reason why you exist the name of Jesus is the main thing there is nothing else other than the name of Jesus is the only thing that can prioritize a crazy, mad world that has so many other wants, wishes, and desires for us. If someone has walked into this building this morning and does not know that there's a way that's different, a truth that is the truth, 
and a life that is exclusively different than anything the world can offer them, then I pray this morning they would pray this simple prayer that has been prayed a thousand times in a thousand different configurations. Dear Lord, forgive me. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my mind. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. And may I make my life a priority to serve you with everything that I have so that I may one day step into that light and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask these things in your son Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jeff. If you would all just stand with me. We're so grateful that you came today. We're going to finish today with just a simple chorus. Everybody knows it. you may you have a great week